Hello, Internet. This is Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar, and welcome to the Redshirt King Manifesto. It is 6.18 in the morning Pacific time. I can't sleep because I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about the World Championship Finals that just took place a few hours ago. I don't really think that one series is necessarily going to call for its own episode per se. Certainly it's going to come up as we talk about other things heading into the offseason, as we talk to Korean analysts about how 2018 is looking and everything else. But it's one of the weird things about watching a, a sport or an esport is like after the championship, there's kind of that moment to sit back and we're all like, wow, that, that happened and that's really cool. And then we just immediately go on to the offseason. And there are a lot of interesting storylines this offseason, especially with NA franchising, which there's going to be a full-length podcast coming out later this week that I'm very excited to have going on. So I, I understand that temptation, but I, I do think it's worth spending 15, 20 minutes on this series. I'm going to try to keep it down. But it was a really weird series to watch. I, I feel like there's been a huge series of conversations I've seen on Twitter about, you know, it seems like everybody's talking about Faker, and it doesn't seem like people are really talking about Samsung, even though they're the ones who had this 3-0 victory, and I think that's very fair. I think that there are kind of two things that are at play there. Uh, one is, is just that Faker is this power figure icon He's just transcended so many conversations when it comes to League of Legends that anything he does is instantly going to be a point of conversation, just like it is about Tom Brady in the NFL or LeBron James in the NBA or insert name of, of a European football player that I should totally know, and I'm sorry that none of them are coming to my head right now, like Ronaldo. There we go. Ronaldo's a great example. You're just going to have to talk about that guy. And certainly, I think that powerful image of him crying on stage is going to stick out at people because this is a guy that everyone has built up as this superhuman. He is impenetrable. Heck, I just wrote an article yesterday about all of the ways in which Faker seems to just transcend analysis and becomes this force of nature when we talk about him. So yeah, seeing him cry is a powerful image. Because we're not supposed to believe that Faker can cry. We didn't believe that Faker could cry. We believed that Faker, despite every piece of evidence that said that Samsung was the better team overall, despite the fact that we saw Faker multiple times talk about how he thought he was going to lose to teams that we acknowledged were a little bit weaker than Samsung, we just thought SKT was going to pull it out. Or at least I did. I know there were plenty of people, I'm sure, picked Samsung. I don't want to act like I'm... The only, you know, I'm, I'm the only opinion out there. But from what I saw on Unicorn, from what I was seeing online, the vast majority of people really did believe that SKT was going to pull it out. And how could you not, right? They've, they've won every other championship they've been to. They have the best player in the world. Look at these amazing series that they've had against Misfits and Royal Never Give Up. And yes, they were close series. They were very close series. And in fact, we should be thinking about how they were behind two games to one in both of those series, how they had double match point twice in a row in those series, but instead we focus on those games four and five and how amazing that solo carry experience for Faker was. And I think sometimes we have to balance that out, but how could you balance it? How could we possibly be expected in the moment 
to balance the gravity, the weight of that moment with everything else we know about League of Legends, with everything we've experienced, with watching this guy for years, with everything that he has done up until this point in the tournament. We can't just turn that part of our brains off and say, oh yeah, this isn't Faker's year. Of course it's Faker's year. Every year is Faker's year. He's the greatest player in the world. So yeah, we're going to talk about that, and I think it's important to talk about it. But it's also important not to lose Samsung in this, and I think that the other thing that's been playing against them, unfortunately, was just how one-sided this series was. This was an incredibly one-sided affair. There was not a single point in maps one and two where I thought SKT were going to win the map. And certainly in game three, it looked like they had a lot of plays going. It looked like the scaling was in their way. It looked like they had a, I think someone said it was about a 10,000 gold lead at one point. But it just, time and time again, we saw these fights kind of turn against SKT. We already had our whiplash from games one and two. And then it was over. You know, it was that, that one fight in the mid lane, and, you know, it felt like it was, you know, back and back to being like neck and neck. Both teams are very close in gold. SKT's gotten all of the dragons. They had that elder that was great. You know, Samsung's close, but it's still, it's a very tight game. And then it just ended. Because Faker got caught out, because Huni didn't peel, because Wolf was out of position, because so many things went wrong on that play. And when you have a game that ends like that, in a series that felt so one-sided, it's, it's anticlimactic. We don't have the same weight of, look at how much they overcame, because we don't have that sense of overcoming it. It was easy. At least in the series. And now, of course, obviously, we know it's not easy, right? It's never easy to beat a team like SK Telecom, the, you know, the second best team in the world, right? They beat Misfits, and they beat Royal Never Give Up, and they beat all these teams in the group stage, and they've done so many things over the years. They got second place in Korea. They're a very good team. Losing the series doesn't make them any less of a great team, but that's how we view things in esports, right? Either you won or you lost. Either you were good enough or you weren't. It's a very black and white kind of conversation way too often. And so we see a 3-0 and we're like, oh, well, I guess it never really was that close. So I guess it never really was that impressive for Samsung to win, which is just factually not true. This took an incredible amount of prep work. Edgar's drafts in this series were spot on, 100% of the way. Felt like they had a great understanding of what they needed to prioritize. I thought putting Crown on the Malzahar all three games was brilliant. Great way to play something that has Lockdown and the hard CC that you really want from Crown because he's not going to be winning lane basically ever. But Malzahar also doesn't lose lane very hard because he is a Malzahar and he has that passive going for him. Very good trading in those early, uh, early lane opportunities. Made a lot of sense there. Glad they did it. And the first rotations of game one and two surprised SKT let them get away with it in the third rotation in game three. I thought that was a mistake. Also thought it was a mistake that SKT picked red side for all of their games. I would not have done that. Um, blue side has had an inherent advantage basically forever. And especially in this meta, the Janna um, seems like it was uh, much more useful than what SKT was choosing to prioritize on red side. And... Yeah, Samsung outdrafted SKT. I don't know what those Gragas picks were doing. I don't know why they kept prioritizing it so highly, especially 
in something like game two where that Jarvin was on the board. In fact, Jarvin was on the board for all of these, uh, all of the games except for game one, and that's because it got banned in the second round of bans after SKT had already picked their Gragas. So I don't, I don't know. It, it was a, another example of how SKT feels like they've been one step behind, but then we don't give Samsung credit for being one step ahead because everything they wanted to do, they got. They gave Ruler that, you, can't, you know, very comfortable lane. Let's win it early because we think that we're a better bot lane than Bang & Wolf at this point in the tournament, and they were, and they executed that very well. Uh, they played around Ruler's lane very well. Ambition did a very good job of ganking in that lane. He did a very good job in general on his engages. I, I thought that uh, his Jarvan in particular in Game 2 some incredible flashes, just great instincts. I, I thought that everything that we've been hyping him up to be over the last couple of weeks as he's been taking that leap forward from what we saw in the group stage, the group stage much more passive, much more let's just get to the mid game and scale up guys and then I'll do my thing. I'll just focus on getting vision and kind of messing with the jungler a little bit before then. Now he was really making these plays, being that front line, making Give, giving them those opportunities to make plays. And they capitalized on all of those opportunities. And then we get to the stuff that I wrote about a week and a half ago, where we talk about how Core JJ and Ambition do such an amazing job of just securing that vision when they get an opportunity. They take a tower down, swarm of deep wards go down every time, every time. You look at the map throughout that entire series, Samsung just dominated the map in, in terms of just pure control. And, you know, we saw the stat about how SKT had placed fewer control wards than anybody else. I was surprised by that because their wards per minute numbers aren't actually that bad. They just use their trinkets a lot better than most teams. But you felt it in a series like last night because SKT could not get a fight on their own terms for the life of them until game three. And even then, it was mostly because Huni was the one split-pushing, and he had gotten such a, an advantage in lane because Blank remembered that you're allowed to gank in the first 15 minutes of the game. And, and therefore, you know, Samsung would have to send somebody there, and, and Faker had a couple good flanks. You know, it, it really felt like for the vast majority of all three of these games, and for the entirety of games one and two, Samsung was in the driver's seat, and they could get their fights at will. And that's really impressive. That tells me that there is a macro understanding of the game that this team figured out, because that's a team effort when it comes to things like vision, when it comes to picking your engage moments, following up on those opportunities when they come, making sure that the guys that you need to succeed are in the right champions to do it. And I will also say, as someone who just wrote an article about Cuvee yesterday, turns out He's really good at doing all of the things they need. Hey, you need some split push? Hey, I'll give you this uh, cannon. How does that work out for you? We'll even play it AD cannon because I mix it up and threw SKT off, I think, in terms of uh, how they played out that lane and, and, and maybe some mastery decisions that you can kind of look at. I'd have to go back through the runes and masteries in particular to point out individual things, but this is kind of an off-the-cuff thing right now. But certainly caught me off guard that that was a decision that he made, but it was a very intelligent one. Uh, Nar in Game 2, very much a team fighter. Cho'Gath in Game 3, the tank that they needed. And a, and a tank that made so many great plays. I, I think that ult on the Bang, you know, we talk about how Bang never should have been there, and he shouldn't have. But when he gets that ult near the Baron pit, and Samsung are able to turn that fight and then get the Baron off of it, 
that is a great moment. Uh, clearly shows this forethought and how they wanted these compositions to go. And I think that his ability to do so many different things for this team was so valuable in a series in which Hooney was exposed as being very inflexible. Even in the game, he did well. Like, what, what does he do? He split pushes and he wins lane. Okay, so what happens if he doesn't win lane? Well, he didn't in games one and two, and they lost. So, you know, do we criticize SKT for that? Of course we should. Of course we should. But let's also praise Samsung, because this was a series that was so cleanly executed in games one and two and showed such resilience in game three. You know, it, it's when you get a team that is as aggressive as SKT and has this kill pressure, hungry for a win like this. Bang seems to be more comfortable. He certainly got some kills in the early game that was making it so that his builds, he, he was hitting a spike in a much more comfortable spot. Wolf certainly seemed more comfortable and a more proactive champion. Um, Blank, as I said, was being a little bit more proactive. That's really hard for a team to deal with. And two months ago, when they were playing in the LCK Finals, Samsung couldn't deal with it. And here they were, and they were faced with this. They were going up against four dragons, two of which were infernal. They lost a Baron, they lost a Rift Herald, and albeit blank, totally misused it because he clearly forgot that he had it and or just didn't find an opportunity to use it. But they pulled it off. They, they, they pull off those fights. They won every single one of them that they needed. At, at some point, hail to the kings, right? These, these are the kinds of clean, decisive games that we would fall over ourselves to praise if this was SK Telecom. But instead, we're focusing on Faker. And again, how could you not? But... I think that as we get a little bit more removed from that moment, I, I hope that Samsung gets their due in the limelight. I think that they certainly did everything you could want a team to do. I think that it shows a trust from management to this playing staff and the coaching staff that they kept everyone the same from last year, didn't feel the need to make any changes. I think it says a lot about Samsung that they stuck to their five when it came to the World Championship. One of the biggest problems that people like Emily Rand had written about in the LCK and in how they handled the playoffs in their region was that they kept subbing people in and out trying to find their best five. And they trusted their five at Worlds. And they never backed out of it. I, I think that Blank and Peanut were being subbed in, but not really with a purpose. It was like, well, he's losing, so let's bring in someone who's not going to be tilted because... Losing makes you worse at the game, and that's fair to some extent. But when you're doing these changes, there's supposed to be a stylistic difference in how you play. And I think it was a pretty big mistake on SKT's side to not allow the differences in Peanut and Blank's skill set to shine through. I think forcing Peanut to try to play like Blank was a terrible idea, and I think he looked clearly uncomfortable. And I think that has something to do with why these plays weren't going well. I think that Peanut associates that kind of slower style with just pure passiveness. So then when Blank is the guy going in for initiations and being the more aggressive of the two in the early game, that tells me there's a coaching problem. But ultimately, I think that this was Samsung's series, and they should be the ones 
that we give credit to as much as we look at the things that SKT did wrong, if not more so. I like I even there I feel like that's not fair to Samsung that I'm like well we gotta we gotta talk about SKT right they're so important they're this figure yeah they are and you know what we gotta talk about the New England Patriots every year too whether they won the title or not but you know what Samsung won the title and let's give them some more praise and let's talk about how exciting this will be if they run it back right like this is the potential for a dynasty here. It's not a dynasty. And anyone who says, oh, they, but they won two titles in the last four years, not the same team, not the same players, not even the same era. This is the sister team era. It cannot be compared. It's not a dynasty. Yet. But it could be. Because now we have a second place finish. We have a first place finish. What happens next year? If they finish first again, that's a dynasty, right? Two titles in three years. And a second place finish in the year that you didn't, that's a hell of a dynasty. They gotta find their way back up to that peak and they've gotta keep these guys together. And do they continue to do that? Or do these players start to cash out a little bit? I know there have been some rumors about Ambition maybe retiring because now he has a wife that he needs to be thinking about, um, kind of starting onto that aspect of his life. I hope that's not the case, mostly because I, I thought he played very well and I think he still has. A promising career ahead of him. I, I don't think that he's by any means peaked as a player. If, if anything, I think what we saw in the second half of the tournament really showed how much better he can be when he's given time to adjust, when he's given the opportunity to learn from a set of games and really dig into that film and find the holes in his game and improve upon them. I was very impressed by him from that end. But if this was his last series... Great way to end, huh? Where you are, in so many ways, the key player that made a lot of these fights happen. And, and the stats aren't necessarily going to show him as the most flashy player on this team, but he was everywhere. 100% kill participation tonight. That's nuts. <laughs> I just realized that as I was going through these stats. 100%. That's, that's great. It's incredible. What a way to end your career, if that's what Ambition chooses to do. And as someone who has been a CJ Antis fan, my whole League of Legends life, and saw so many promising players get just dug into the ground and ground into paste and then chewed up and spit out and left on their own, you know, just as, as a shell of a person. You know, we were so afraid after CJ Antis moved into the jungle that that was going to be the end of Ambition's career because he didn't look great right away on it. And look at where he is now. Uh, and that says so much about his work ethic, his determination, his intelligence for the game. Oh my God, the intelligence in terms of how they planned out the macro strategy and how he, he played out these games directly. I, I think I can't say enough about him. I can't say enough about Cuvee and just how flexible and, and how useful he was to this team. Can't say enough about Ruler and how much he stepped up. A guy that in the group stage we were criticizing for having all of these positioning issues, really nervous in team fights. Look at how much he just stepped forward in some of those big fights. Obviously, his Varus is great, did very well on it, but his Zaya was great too. It was all great. He, he used his ults perfectly. I thought that his initiations were very solid. He wasn't getting caught out and making mistakes. 
I think of anything, if you're looking for a guy who was the weakest of the five, it's Crown. And we knew it was going to be Crown. And you know what? Crown probably knew it was going to be Crown. But you know what Crown did that very few mid laners are capable of doing? He swallowed his pride. He said, you know what? I'm working really hard at this, and I want to do something in this meta that is going to make my team win. And I would love for it to be a carry kind of champion. Like when I looked so good on Victor just a year ago, and I was able to win games through my mechanical brilliance. But I'm not doing that right now. So if I can't play the Talia, which was either banned mostly by his own team, to be honest, but still, if, I, if I'm not going to play that, and I'm not sure that I can play that against Faker, because Faker knows that champion inside and out anyway, I'll play this Malzahar pick that no one else was using, right? This, this was not a thing before he made it a thing. He demonstrated just how useful this champion was in this meta, how much that lockdown was going to bring to the team as a whole, and he made it work. And that meant taking a step back to move his team two steps forward. And between that and the Lysandra pick that we saw earlier in the bracket stage, I feel like he gave his team more than the pure mechanics that he could have offered had he been playing some of his more comfortable carry champions because he was giving them a tool that they desperately needed, which was the CC to take advantage of the vision that they were getting so that when they got their fights, they had guaranteed value off of it. They knew that as long as they were picking the fights at their time, at the you know setting it up for when they were ready for it, they were going to get that guy on lockdown. They were going to get that, that target that they could then pounce on and make it all come together. And it came together so many times over the course of the series. And, you know, I, I, I guess I should say something about Core JJ, right? Because I've said something about everybody else. He played really well. Um, his vision game is immaculate. You know, it's one of those things, again, it doesn't really come up in the stats. You know, you'll see a lot of people like, oh, well, you know, it's Jenna and, and Lulu, right? How hard are those champions to play? Ha, 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 ha. I, I get the mechanical kind of conversation about it. I would say, like, we've seen plenty of Tarot games that he played earlier in this tournament. And for the record, I don't think that they get this far if it's not for him learning the Tarot and executing it so well against Longju in particular uh, and against WE to a lesser extent. I think that was a key part of what changed their philosophy in terms of getting themselves to play the lane more dominantly, getting those dive potentials, giving them more of a reason to play for that early game. And they didn't have to do that this time around because Ruler just stepped up and was a monster and Jana made it very easily to make those trades, very much empowering him to do it because that's what a Jana's supposed to do, but he did it very, very well. And again, whenever they got those towers down, guess who was there? It was Core JJ with all the wards you could ever want, making sure that they were going to keep pushing and keep getting those plays because they always knew where the best opportunity to make the next play was. All of these guys played an incredible series. Absolutely. Every single one of them. And that's easy to say when you're just like, oh, well, that's because they won, right? Good players always look good when they win. But I can point to individual contributions that every single one of them made, both in this series and over the course of the tournament, that made this team better. This was a team. This was a team effort. And in the battle of 
the god of League of Legends versus the best team at the tournament? Teamwork won. And that's kind of awesome, right? Like, this is one of those things where we have gotten so worked up in the West about how, oh, there's this gap and we're just never going to be good enough to beat up against the best players in the world. And with guys like Faker, we'll just never have the mechanics. We'll never be able to compete with a guy like that. And Samsung said, you don't have to. Misfit said, you don't have to. Royal Never Give Up said, you don't have to. Granted, they couldn't seal the deal, but Samsung certainly could. And all of those teams had talented players. Don't get me wrong. You'd still have to be a very talented team. But the god couldn't do it alone. This is a different era of League of Legends now. And I hope that this retroactively gives guys like Bengi even more of a spotlight. You know, guys who did such a good job of making the SKT machine run. I hope that people don't immediately just shit on Bang and Wolf, which I feel like is going to be the thing. Bang had a terrible series. I think he had a bad tournament overall. He was also one of the biggest reasons they did well at MSI. Wolf was the MVP at MSI. They were a huge part of why they did so well at Worlds in Season 6. Maybe let's not, you know, put down the pitchforks and torches. I, I think that certainly you can have some tryouts and see what you find. But if they bring those guys back, I, I'm okay with that. I, I think jungle and top lane are going to need a, they're going to need a change, because clearly they were not on the same page. Clearly they were not comfortable with what the team needed them to do. And when you see Faker going to something like the Karma, that's him basically saying, "I am willing to sacrifice every carry potential that I have to try to make you guys." do something worthwhile right now because we desperately need it and they still couldn't do it and that's so tough for him and i man it sucks to see that image and i am gonna keep coming back to that because he is the greatest and that does matter but you know what else matters this samsung team's really good and i think they're going to continue to be really good as long as they stick together as long as the vast majority of them stick together they're going to do really well. And if Ambition leaves, and this is his last crowning moment, pun totally intended, great for him. And you know what? I think Haru will step up into this team just fine. His biggest problem was that he didn't have the game knowledge quite yet to keep the shot calling as well as Ambition did. But he's gotten to learn under Ambition for a year. He's gotten to watch how this team came together throughout the World Championship and how much they did make these changes and adjust and grow over time. He's going to be working with Core JJ over the course of the next year and with Edgar, who has clearly proven himself to be a very good coach. They're going to be fine. Even if they do get rid of Ambition, they're going to be fine. Not get rid of if he retires. It sounds like such a terrible way of putting it. He'll leave us, but he'll never leave my heart in particular. But... That's my thoughts on this series. I had more of them than I thought. This has gone a little bit longer than I expected, but hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I'm not obviously putting an ad read at the front of it because this is just a quick hit for all of you hardcore fans who have been sticking through during this kind of tumultuous period within the podcast. I appreciate you all. You mean the world to me, uh, especially all of you who have been in the Discord and who have been watching these games with me, you know, doing the VOD reviews, everything else. It's been one hell of a journey. All of you are wonderful people, and I've really gotten to 
enjoy getting to know you better, which has been awesome. And for those of you who haven't joined yet, feel free to if you'd like. And if you don't, you're not one of those people, know that I love you anyway because you have listened to this show and you've given me a platform to share this thing that I love with you guys. And I do love League of Legends. And I'm going to love it next year. I'm going to love all of these off-season stories. I'm going to love getting mad at Riot about franchising because I think there are things they're doing wrong. But I'm going to love it anyway because I love this game. And I love that I can watch a tournament like this having watched so many other tournaments earlier in the day with BlizzCon, having watched so many series over the last few months, cramming for Worlds and then watching the play-ins, watching Worlds, all of these games, watching multiple times for articles and things. And I'm still so excited by what was supposedly a letdown because it was a 3-0 that I can't sleep because I love this game. And I thank you for letting me share that with you. NA Franchising Pod coming within the next few days. Got a panel of people that I think are really interesting guys to talk to. I think you're going to really enjoy it. And until then, goodbye, Internet.